Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Hello, and I am so absolutely honored and excited to have with me today Kathy Guillermo of PETA for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. She's a senior vice president. She has been around for a long time, and there is a new concern of PETA's regarding transplants that are making headlines around the world. Take it away. What's the problem, Kathy? Well, we keep seeing this kind of Frankenstein science which got a boost in the headlines recently when a pig heart was transplanted into a human heart patient. And we want to remind people that these are unethical, the science is not all that great, and frankly, pandemic-wise, they're really dangerous. So tell us about what's happening, because I understand that there's a backstory to this where PETA had made allegations against the very university that is doing these transplants that are on the front page of the New York Times, heralded as the next big breakthrough for science. Um, Let's get into the weeds a little bit here. These are transplanting pigs to humans, but there were animal tests beforehand. Can you just break it down for our viewers? Sure. And just to be clear, we've had complaints from a number of facilities where these transplant experimentation experiments involving animals are done. And the one that was highlighted in the New York Times is a different facility from where we received video and photographs. Same experiments, same kind of stuff that we're talking about. And, and what's being done in these facilities, and this is both private industry and in universities, the experiments involve taking kidneys or hearts or some organ from most often a pig and transplanting into baboons. And it's the sort of the practice experiments before they do this with humans. What we found out at University of Alabama, though, is we had a whistleblower who let us know that there were issues there involving the care of the animals and the suffering of the animals that were really kind of appalling. Uh, This whistleblower alleged that old medications were being used. They didn't even have up-to-date medicine that hadn't expired yet, that the animals were suffering such a tremendous amount that she she shared a little video, for example, of a baboon who had had a, a kidney transplanted into her, another baboon who had a heart transplant. And the animals are kind of slumped against the back of the cages, obviously in misery, kept alive long enough to show the funders of the experiments, oh, look at our successful transplant, and then finally euthanized. There were all kinds of issues with allegedly records being changed to make it look like the animals didn't suffer quite as much as they did. And we took all this information, we released it, and we filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Yeah. Now, um, just to be clear, and this is a very complicated story, um, this was the University of Alabama at Birmingham? That's correct. And the New York Times talked about surgeons at the same institution um, doing a kidney transplant from a genetically modified pig into the abdomen of a 57-year-old brain-dead man. That's right. Yeah. 
So, so you're saying it was a different. Well, the, the university where the heart transplant done was University of Maryland and the, the kidney transplant onto the exterior part of a brain dead patient was in New York. So the procedures were all the same. And one of the corporations funding it was the same, but the, but the actual transplant didn't take place at University of Alabama. Okay. All right. Um, interesting. Well, first of all, we invite any universities or institutions or corporations or government agencies that want to comment on this on any time. But I will say that the UAB has said that the allegations of mistreatment are false, but he acknowledged several issues at the lab were self-reported by UAB to the USDA and the NIH in 2019. Uh, They acknowledged that a detergent was used on a baboon's wounds, expired drugs were stored that may have been used on primates and drug logs were filled out inappropriately and they confirmed that the detergent was woolite and this was in a published report again um we invite them on any time but essentially it seems like they were acknowledging that there were problems my my understanding was that you had filed a complaint with the usda and was seeking an investigation but that was a couple of years ago what's happening with that well, we're in the queue to get the USDA records, but the fact that the, that the laboratory self-reported and what they mean by this is if a laboratory violates animal welfare law and they admit they did it and they tell the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the National Institutes of Health, hey, we made mistakes here, then they can avoid getting a citation. They can avoid being dinged for that. And that's why they do it. They could lose funding if they, if they don't report this. But what I think is so interesting about what you just read is that on the one hand, the spokesperson says, hey, we didn't do anything. We're not, we, what, what PETA is saying isn't true. And then runs through a laundry list. That's exactly what we said that woolite was put on the wound of a baboon in order to lighten the skin so it didn't look quite as serious, that drug forms were filled out incorrectly, that they were using expired pain medication. That's exactly what the whistleblower alleged and what we reported. So uh, it's a very, very complicated case. Let's talk generalities here, because you're saying that the specific um, experiments and transplants that ended up on the front page, wouldn't even call them experiments, but procedures that ended up on the front page of the New York Times are not exactly the same as the institution where you got a whistleblower who complained and you filed a complaint. Those are different. That's right. Okay. So we're clarifying that. But overall, let's talk about the idea of transplanting uh, animal parts into human bodies. In your opinion, what is the risk? Because it's being heralded as a major medical breakthrough. Well, several things. First of all, it's unethical. And I always start from that perspective. The reason we don't grab someone off the street and steal a kidney or a heart is that that would be unethical and unacceptable. For me, that's the same thing as grabbing an animal and harvesting that animal as though there's some kind of a a tool shed that we need to raid for human use. But the other issues that should concern everybody is that we cannot ensure that these organs are free of viruses. And at a time when we're still trying to come out of a pandemic, this should really worry everybody. Even in the case of the heart transplant with genetically modified pigs, 
where they've used CRISPR gene editing to excise virus genes, that organ still has the potential to become infected with a virus. And that has the potential to be extremely dangerous, not just for the person with the organ, but for all of us. So a person who has a pig heart, for example, as far as they know, whatever viruses they could identify, and who knows if they even identified them all, have been edited out. That person is exposed to a virus, breathes it in, is infected. That's how diseases begin. Three out of four new diseases that hit our population, our human population, come from animals. And this is very, very risky. So why is it that you feel that the medical community which is trying to find a cure for human illnesses, wouldn't take that into account. Because it's a lot more fun not to. You know, really, it comes down to that. If we want to look at how we could actually save human lives, there are about 100,000 people in need of transplants in the United States right now. We've not done all we could and all we can to try to make sure that those people get what we know works, which is an organ from a human being into their own bodies. And I say we haven't done all we could because we don't have presumed consent laws. If we had a law that stated it is presumed upon death, your organs are to be donated, unless you specify otherwise, we could increase by a huge amount, the number of organs that go into that are available to be transplanted into human beings. We've seen Spain do this and France do this, and exponentially their numbers of organs available had risen. We need an opt-out program rather than an opt-in program. And there are ways of refining the system too, the organ transplant system, so that we're more efficient with making sure that an organ that's available actually gets into the human being that needs it. All of that needs to be done before we do this very risky kind of surgery that uh, doesn't take into account the animal's needs any more than the general population's. Well, what about legislation to make that happen? It seems common sense. When I go to my driver's license renewal, I always say, please use my body. I don't, I, I won't, I'm gone, take it and do the experiments you got to do on it so you don't have to torture animals, uh, which you don't have to do anyway. I mean, uh, that's a whole other subject we'll get to, but um, why is that not a piece of legis- common sense legislation that we could pass here in the United States? It is, and it should be. It should be exactly that. And imagine if we took all of the money that's right now being poured into these experiments, these you know highly controversial, risky experiments, and we put that money toward something else like passing the legislation. That would be a much better way of dealing with this problem. We know that's how we can save lives. We don't know yet with this, with transplanting pig organs into humans. History would tell us it's very risky and unlikely to ever to succeed on a widespread scale. But we know other things that could happen. That money's kind of being wasted, in my opinion. Well, now, kidney disease, that was one of the justifications that so many people are experiencing kidney disease and dying from kidney disease. Now, uh, there are um, methods to prevent kidney disease and to mitigate kidney disease. And ironically, if you uh, look at nutritionfacts.org and talk to Dr. Michael Greger, he does a whole lecture on how a plant-based diet can uh, reverse kidney disease 
in some cases and prevent kidney disease by reducing the acidity in the body and um, by basically taking the load off the pressure of the kidneys, uh, which are stressed by um, the consumption of meat, eggs, and dairy. You make such a good point because let's face it, if we're going to talk about saving lives, we can talk about saving possibly, we don't even know yet, a handful of lives with something like this. Whereas if you look at the effect of diet on health, just kidney disease you've mentioned, think about heart disease. You know, more people died of heart disease in the last year than died of COVID. I mean, heart disease is the number one killer and yet most heart disease is preventable. And we know this not only from Michael Greger, but from Caldwell Esselstyn and T. Colin Campbell, uh, Neil Barnard, these physicians who have done this groundbreaking research and have shown that the only way to prevent and reverse heart disease is by the diet that we consume. And yet, how many tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars is going into creating a pig that can be a spare parts being rather than into this kind of medicine and preventative medicine that we know is going to save many more lives. We've got a caller, Tom, from Chicago. Your question or thought for Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President at People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, talking about transplants from animals to humans, which PETA calls a Frankenstein move. Your question. All right, uh, caller, Tom. I guess you're not there anymore. Let's talk a little bit about Um, other issues involving animal experimentation and legislation. Uh, We passed the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act here in California. Peter was very involved in that, along with social compassion legislation and other organizations. There were uh, big rallies at uh, the state capitol in Sacramento. What is happening on the uh, animal testing front? Because we have organs on a chip. We've got a lot of incredible technological advances. Animal experimentation is medieval. Literally, they've been doing it since the medieval times. In fact, they've been doing it since before Christ Um, and with pretty much the same results. Um, What is happening on that front? You know, it's a really exciting time in many ways. We have a long way to go, but what you said is exactly right. Here's what we know. 95% of new drugs that test safe and effective in animal studies go on to fail in human beings. We have a 95 plus failure rate for development of drugs using animals. 90% of all basic research, and this is the kind of stuff that our government funds, 90% of that, most of it using animals, fails to lead to treatments for humans. We're seeing an utter failure of the so-called animal model to lead to cures for human disease and illnesses. What we do have is exactly what you said. We have other ways now. And Pete has actually put together a plan. We call it the Research Modernization Deal. It was done by our scientists, and it shows the way. It lays out the case for the failure of animal studies. It gives a very clear strategy for moving forward. And I'm really happy to say that members of the European Parliament who reviewed our Research Modernization Deal then voted to direct the European Commission to come up with a plan to phase out all uses of animals and experiments. 
this is what we need the United States government to do too. And we do have some members of Congress now who've just recently sent a letter to the National Institutes of Health and said, you have to look at the strategy of this research modernization deal and you must implement it. So we really need people to get in touch with their members of Congress to get further support for that. Now, why is it that the United States is behind Europe on this issue? That is a great question because the United States is in danger of falling behind scientifically, falling behind the rest of the world in innovation. And I'm told this, you know, not from my own observation, I'm told this by people who work at NIH, people who work in in, in the, 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 the largest body in the world that gives money to the largest funder of research is the National Institutes of Health, our government agency. And yet it clings to this outmoded way of doing experimentation and doing research in the face of all evidence. And I think probably there are a number of reasons for it. For one, we have animal experimenters who are in positions of approving proposed experiments. So if I want to do, if I want to conduct research, and I put together a proposal and I send that to NIH, probably 90% of the people on that review committee are animal experimenters. We need to get other people with additional expertise reviewing that. And we need also, frankly, to shut up the animal experimenters because they are so loud and so vociferous at NIH that we've seen Francis Collins, for example, former director of NIH, bow to them in order to keep peace. We need somebody who's going to be bold enough to carry this forward and not worry about what animal experimenters say and instead worry about the health of the public. What is the status with the changing leadership at the NIH and the calls for somebody who is not a vivisector? Well, we've certainly been on the phone and over the email and through the U.S. Postal Service in communication with the White House with the Office of Science, Technology, and Policy, Science, Technology, Policy, urging exactly that. We need somebody who's forward thinking with this. We don't need another animal experimenter in charge. We need somebody who's got expertise in non-animal methods, who's not afraid to stand up to the old status quo and is going to say, we all recognize this paradigm is failing. Let's move forward. I don't know who that person is going to be. I think there are many good candidates. But what we've got to have from this administration is a commitment to putting somebody in charge who's going to carry it forward. Well, uh, they don't seem to be particularly aware of this issue or of prevention when it comes to the major killers. Heart disease, as you mentioned, is obviously caused by the buildup of plaque in most cases. And that comes from cholesterol, which only exists in animal products. There's no cholesterol. You can go up and down the supermarket aisles and any vegan product is zero cholesterol. So uh, we have sort of a blind spot there. We just heard in the State of the Union a big announcement about more cancer research, which often just means more animal experimentation. We know, for example, processed meat is cancer causing. And yet... Uh, the administration, the same administration that's proposing to spend many uh, millions, if not billions of dollars on cancer research, again, subsidizes animal agriculture and just offered a billion dollars to build more slaughterhouses. Now, people consume meat to a large degree through processed meat, which is officially cancer causing. 
the disconnect is so extreme. How do we punch holes through that? Yeah, that's a, it's such a good point. It's such a good point. We've just done a proposal to the National Cancer Institute along these lines, because as you point out, there's a lot of attention being focused on it now. President Biden has made it an issue going forward. But, you know, if you look at the, the war on cancer launched 50 years ago, 50 years ago, the number two killer of Americans was cancer. Today, the number two killer of Americans is cancer. And the progress that we've made has largely has, is largely because of what you just mentioned. Preventative measures. Don't smoke. Don't eat cancer-causing foods. The disconnect, I think, comes because we've got these enormous industries that politicians and bureaucrats seem to be afraid of offending. We've got the meat industry, which is enormous, and the USDA sees the meat industry basically as its client. And we have the enormous animal experimentation industry, the people who make the cages, the people who get hired to conduct experiments on animals. They've all got lobbyists. So how we break through it, I think we're going to have to have good old-fashioned grassroots to a huge degree to get through to these people. And I think we're going to have to be on Capitol Hill ourselves and making this point to members of Congress. I see increasingly members of Congress are concerned about experimentation issues. And I think that's going to just grow from here. Well, PETA is so good at getting a mass response. Uh, every day I get notifications. I can send a mail to a member of Congress, my senator, my member of Congress with one click, and I often do. Um, what kind of campaigns do you have directed your mass campaigns at um, dealing with this issue? For example, um, when this new cancer initiative hits to make sure it's just not more of the same basic research, which just involves torturing a lot, a huge number of animals, and has shown to be ineffective. This is what I don't understand. I mean, it, it, it's not effective. Yes, yes. And you would think that maybe success would be a good measure for funding, wouldn't you? But it's, it's so often that doesn't seem to be the case. In the case of cancer, we do have an action alert. People can go to PETA.org or just Google PETA and cancer, and you'll probably get to our action alert. We just delivered 40,000 signatures from Americans asking the National Cancer Institute to put the money into methods that are going to work, that are going to help people. But I also think it's important how this is directed. You know, one of the things that Congress has been discussing is this new ARPA ARPA uh, funding, a new division that's going to tackle disease research in a new and innovative way. What I think is so interesting about that, of course, is that that's what NIH is supposed to do. The fact that they're having to create a whole new division to do research to try to lead to cures would indicate to me that's an acknowledgement that NIH isn't working. But you're right about the activism. We've got an average of 10,000 PETA supporters in every congressional district in America. That's a lot. So if everybody in those districts is in touch with their members of Congress and is saying this research on animals is not working, let's fund what does, let's not fund what doesn't, that's very, very powerful. That helps us get members of Congress to sign on to letters and to look at appropriations language and legislation. Um, are you winning the war? It just seems like there's so many technological advances, organs on a chip, the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act, 
what's happening in Europe, which is, I think, ahead of the United States when it comes to awareness about the inefficiency of animal testing. And yet you have COVID and uh, the purported need for more monkeys and the NIH and other government institutions just going out and getting these monkeys. There was a car accident recently on the freeway where uh, a truck carrying monkeys uh, for experimentation uh, was hit or involved in the accident. And then people saw these actual animals. They're not widgets. They're, they're living beings who want to live, escape, and run in freezing temperatures. Uh, tell us about what's happening on that front. Uh, are, we, are we going in the wrong direction? Well, it's a it's a little bit of a mixed bag. That accident, we were very involved in the aftermath. We were in touch with a woman who mistakenly thought or was told that cats were in the boxes that scattered out on the freeway from the back of this trailer. And she actually went and looked in it. She got monkey saliva in her eye, which is incredibly dangerous. When these monkeys come into the U.S., they come in in the in the cargo holds of planes. Unfortunately, most airlines will no longer do this. And, and we actually got this airline that brought those particular monkeys into stop. So they'll never do it again either. But when those monkeys come in, the people who work at the airport step aside and people in full body hazmat gear actually unload those crates and put them in the back of the of the cargo vans then. It's all under supervision by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. That's how dangerous it is to bring monkeys with unknown viruses into this country. And yet here were these monkeys spilling out onto the highway in the freezing temperature, terrified, climbing trees, looking for a place to hide. It was a tragedy for the monkeys and it was incredibly dangerous for the population that was there. I think we have to take a look at the, at the danger of what these monkeys may be bringing into this country, as well as the safety of the monkeys themselves. But to the point that people are now saying we need monkeys because of COVID, well, we don't, because monkeys were not crucial to the development of the COVID vaccine, number one. And for those areas of disease research where monkeys have been used, they aren't leading to what we need. We don't have a vaccination for malaria. We don't have a vaccination to prevent HIV. We don't have a TB vaccination. We don't have a Zika vaccination. And this is what our government has been funding at the primate centers across the country. So there's good and bad news. The bad news is that the monkey experimenters saw COVID as a great opportunity to clamor for, for, for more monkeys. And we saw exporters of monkeys pull back on release of those monkeys to the United States. And now we're seeing the FDA ex tell experimenters across the country, you can't use monkeys for everything you want. There aren't enough. So it's kind of a, we're in a, we're in a very odd place with monkey experimentation now. It doesn't work. They want more. They can't get them. All of this is good because we saw the, vac the, va the COVID vaccine developed with minimal animal testing, not the years-long testing that usually takes place before a vaccine can come to market. That's taken us to a new place and to new legislation, the FDA Modernization Act. Uh, what is the chance of the FDA Modernization Act passing? Well, I think it's very good, but I think we're, we're going to need more people on board than we have. We have a lot of animal organizations. We have a lot of scientists. We have uh, 
Disease Research Foundations now supporting it. And what this bill would simply do is enlarge the authority of the FDA to allow approval of drugs without animal tests if there are other methods that can be used instead. And we know now that there are. And given the failure of animal research to lead to to medications, we should be paying very close attention to this. I, I, the only opposition that anybody has voiced so far, it seems to me, has been a little bit of fear from the FDA itself. But clearly, this is something that can be done and should be done in order to move that needle in the right direction. So, if one of the problems is there's just so many ways to go with this and people um, are not sitting down for the most part and writing individual letters. What's so great about PETA is that PETA has automated all this and made it so easy. So if people want to get involved, they go to PETA.org. There is a litany of um, different campaigns that one can get involved with and send letters literally like this. Uh, What would you tell people about that? Also, there's a phone text that one can get where you can just hit like capital Y and it sends it out. Uh, what's happening on that front in the animal experiment sphere? You know, it's so exciting now that we can get forty or 50,000 emails generated in a matter of days, sometimes a single day. And we have got it automated to the point that if you need to reach a legislator, you can go to our site, you can go to the action alert, you can say, for example, you go to our homepage right now, You'll see animal experimentation campaigns that we are undertaking. You can click to take action. For the ones that need to go to your legislator, you can both send an email and you can even press a button and be connected by phone to their legislative office. It couldn't be easier. People can also sign up to receive the text messages that you're talking about. And those are amazing reply why messages, we call them. So you press, all you got to do is press why and email is generated. And those kinds of things have a huge effect. How do they sign up for that? I do it and it's the easiest thing in the world. I've signed up, but I don't remember how I signed up. (laughs) Well, you can go, if you go to the site and you take action there, there will be at the bottom of it, there's there's a box you can click saying that you want to receive text messages and that's all you have to do. All right, PETA.org, go to the bottom, get text messages and you can be part of the solution because look, the pharmaceutical industry, correct me if I'm wrong, I've read that they have more lobbyists than any other industry. And the pharmaceutical industry is extremely tied to vivisection, correct? That's right. Well, here's the good news about the pharmaceutical industry. They're not dependent upon animal experimentation if they're given a way not to have to do it. So a pharmaceutical company wants to make drugs and it wants to make money. And if it can do that more efficiently and more effective without animals, and if the legal constraint is removed, they'll move in that direction. They're not like a university experimenter whose whole career has been built upon, for example, cutting off the tops of monkey skulls and poking around in their brains while you try to frighten them with snakes, as as happening right now at the University of Wisconsin. They're not tied to animal experimentation. They're in a business. So while they consume huge numbers of monkeys and animals right now, that can change and it can change pretty quickly if we can pass the FDA Modernization Act and if we can get, if we can move our government toward the acceptance of these methods. 
what has to be done is that when we have a new method, it has to be tested side by side with the animal experiment and comparisons have to be made. It's gonna, we're going to have to go through that process and then we're going to see, as we've had to do with cosmetics testing and toxicity testing, we're going to see that these tests are more effective. And then at that point, they can be accepted. Uh, where is the Modernization Act in Congress right now? Well, the bills have been introduced in both the Senate and the House. Um, and it's right now, I believe it's about to be sent to committee. So we're in a very good place for people to take action right now. There are at least 25 co-sponsors, both Republicans and Democrats of each, 25 of each in the House right now. It's a huge bipartisan support. The bill was introduced by Senator Cory Booker and Senator Rand Paul. So we have, you know, the ends of the spectrum there who've come together on this particular issue. Well, this should be a bipartisan issue because conservatives are always talking about waste and obviously spending billions of dollars torturing animals with no good result is waste. There couldn't be any more clear example of waste. Who's paying for all this? Taxpayers, you and me, we pay taxes. That goes to animal experimentation, whether we want it or not. And then of course, on the other side, you have, um, for example, Senator Cory Booker, who is a noted animal lover. And so you, they say politics makes strange bedfellows. This would seem to be uh, an area where you could get a lot of bipartisan support, especially in a time where we're concerned about, we, as we always are, about budgets and deficits. It's such a good point. I mean, it has everything, really. This is, this is why I think there is bipartisan support, because it's about waste. It's about cruelty. It's about human health. And, you know, frankly, it's about tax money. You're right. Our money is paying for this. $19 billion flows through the National Institutes of Health to support animal experiments every single year. And that's of concern. And I, I have to just say that while we're talking about disease and medication, an awful lot of this experimentation has nothing to do with disease at all. It's just curiosity-based garbage. It's stuff that could end tomorrow. Nobody would ever notice that it was gone. It's just cruel. And it, you know, it's just ridiculous experiments that need to stop. Well, you talked about the experiment where baby monkeys were scared. You had, correct me if I'm wrong, done a Freedom of Information Act request, which was fought, but you got some video that then created a scandal, like what with senators and other members of Congress going, what are we spending our money on? Scaring baby monkeys. Now, there's so many of these different experiments, variations on them, that it's easy to get confused. And I don't want to get confused. I wish there weren't so many, but there are. Um, there was this infamous experiment where the mothers were sedated and then the babies would try to wake up, mommy. I'll never forget watching this. And then the experimenters would scare the baby with snakes while she's trying to wake up mommy. But mommy can't wake up because mommy's sedated. This is something out of a bad Freddy Krueger movie. And you found out about it. And what happened? So correct me if I'm wrong on any of that. You got it exactly right. These were experiments that have been going on inside an NIH laboratory for 30 years. And when we exposed that after a long, hard-fought campaign, we won. That laboratory closed. 
that experimenter is no longer working with monkeys and those experiments are done at NIH. So that was key. That was crucial. But every time we turn around, there's another one. We're working on the NIH experimenter, Elizabeth Murray, right now, who does the fright experiments. She takes monkeys and she cuts into their skull and she damages their brain by injecting toxins into the brain. And then she frightens them with various things, plastic snakes, plastic spiders, weird objects, a toy, a child's toy iron. But, you know, they're in these little tiny cages and they see a strange thing. They spend 23 and a half hours a day in these little cages and then suddenly they're put in a room and somebody is frightening them with something. And supposedly this is supposed to tell us something about mental illness. Well, it's an insult to everybody and it's, it's just cruel. It's just absolutely cruel. That's the one we're trying to stop right now. And where, uh, by the way, this experimenter uh, is invited on any time and who's paying for this and, and where is this happening? It's happening in Bethesda, Maryland, at the National Institutes of Health uh, Laboratory right there. The experimenter is an NIH employee. And I wish she would come on your show because yeah. then she could talk about what she thinks is, is, is going on here. and She could try to justify what she's doing. I don't think she'd succeed at it, but I wish she would talk about it. And all anybody can say over at NIH is, well, she's a well-respected scientist here for many years and her work is important, but how? It's never led to any improvement for human beings. So how exactly is it important? And, and what, what could be done to stop that? I mean, could, it, it doesn't seem like you could pass legislation to stop a particular experiment. It's a campaign. You know, it's a campaign and we need people to call and we need people to email and phone calls are particularly important. And all of this information is at PETA.org. People can find out. But we've had this has been we've been working on this for about two years now. And sometimes it takes that longer, longer to shut these things down. Phone calls to NIH are really important. So if people can go online and take action at our site. I'd be very grateful. Yes. I mean, it's one-stop shopping. You go to PETA.org. All of it's there. And actually, it's a lot of, it's rewarding because when you see something horrifying and you go, oh, you feel helpless. And when I see these and it's in a PETA email or a PETA text, I know there's something I can do. So as Ingrid Newkirk says, don't be sad, get active. And so with this one click and one call, you can really be active and then you don't have to just walk around feeling morose because it's depressing to see these experiments. It's truly here's the reaction I have. I can't believe the human race is capable of this. That's the reaction I have. And it's unbelievable the contortions that can occur in the human mind and in institutions to justify these kinds of things. I mean, we look back at the Inquisition and we go, how could people do that? We go to uh, medieval torture museums in Europe and you go, oh, my God, how do people do that? But you've got similar medieval torture museums that are not museums. They're being used where these animals um, are, are just suffering extraordinarily as part of the a whistleblower who blew the whistle on the transplant from a pig to a baboon that happened at a university. There were uh, videos. He took a video that I saw last night and the monkey um, 
the primate, let's say, was going around and around and around and around and around and around in a circle, what does that signify? That's a stereotypic behavior. And we see this in every single laboratory where monkeys are housed. If you look, you know, we have plenty of video, I'm sorry to say, online, but people should take a look at it because they should have an understanding that these these very sensitive, complex social primates live in a cage that's like the size of a refrigerator in a college dorm room or a kitchen cabinet. They spend year after year after year in these cages. And so they go a little crazy and they pull out their own hair and they spin and they do flips and they bite themselves because they simply have no other way of dealing with this kind of stress. What I can say is that we stick with these campaigns until we win them. We will shut down these laboratories. We will close down all the national primate centers in the United States for ethical and scientific reasons. But it's so important that people get involved because that's how we do it. That's how we shut down these laboratories. And it's just, it's, it's crucial that people understand what we're dealing with. But stereotypical behavior as it's, as it's kind of sanitized way of explaining it, it's, it's, it's self-destruction on the part of the monkeys. It's mental illness on the part of the monkeys. It's in every laboratory. You can't make the situation humane enough to make that go away. It's just impossible. Well, we know for humans, solitary confinement is the worst torture. That's why it's uh, called solitary confinement. We know that. People have experienced depression just being relatively confined during the two years or more of the pandemic uh, and feeling anxiety and depression. Imagine if you're confined to a cage for your whole life, and then the only time you're taken out is to be uh, poked and prodded and, and experimented on. It's beyond torture. I mean, there's no words to describe this. Is there a cultural change occurring? We're at a turning point. The National Institute of Health's head honcho has stepped down. He's going to be replaced. Correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is he's at at the very least pro-vivisection or actually a vivisector. Who could replace him? I don't know if we have names, but... Is this a cultural turning point right now? It should be, and it must be. We know the majority of the public is opposed to the use of animals in laboratories for any reason at all, not without qualification, they're opposed to it. The president needs to listen to the population at this point. We are at a turning point because if we can get someone in there who's thinking good science, good science, then that person will admit the failure of animal experiments to take us where we need to go. And I, I, won't, I won't offer names, but I can say there are good people. There are good people who are there to do it. We need to look away from the status quo. And President Biden always worries me on this because recently when the director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy stepped down because he was accused of uh, apparently bullying his staff members, the president did something unusual. He put in charge of OSTP, a woman who was there who seems to be quite a good candidate, but then he divided that. Usually that person would advise him on scientific matters. And instead of that, he chose Francis Collins to advise him. And Francis Collins is, of course, was the head of NIH who stepped down at the end of last year. And he is part of the problem. So we, we really do need the president to stop listening to the old guard. 
Well, again, I can't confirm independently any of what you just told me. I'm hearing it for the first time. It, it was Francis Collins a vivisector himself. I'm not clear on that. He had done some animal experiments, but he was not one to any great extent. It, it's interesting to me about Dr. Collins because he admitted many times that animal experiments were not getting us where we needed to go. And yet he continued to defend the experiments on monkeys. He continued to defend all of the things that have been proven not to work. It all ended right. up being a very political situation, in my opinion. Yes. We've got a caller, Damon from California. Your question or thought? I'm just okay. call, calling in. I'm, I'm from the state of Washington, but visiting Los Angeles now. and just wanted to express my extreme opposition to animal testing and my gratitude to you, Jane, and all your colleagues for all you're doing. Much love. Passing the feather. All right. That's fantastic. And if you're in Washington, we have a very strong campaign against the, the National Primate Research Center at the University of Washington. So come to our website and take action there. Yeah. And please don't thank me. Pete is doing all the work. Uh, we collaborated many years ago uh, on uh, closing down a laboratory monkey breeding facility in Puerto Rico, which is one of my um, proudest uh, collaborations ever. Um, these laboratory monkey breeding facilities, uh, my understanding is that Mauritius, which uh, is a remote location from the United States, is an area where they get a lot of these monkeys. What is the status with these breeding uh, facilities? We know that uh, in Henry County, there was Henry County, Florida, there was a plan to turn that area into a laboratory monkey breeding capital of the world, according to uh, some uh reports but uh thanks to a PETA undercover investigation and all sorts of controversy that didn't happen uh however um there are these uh breeding facilities that keep popping up uh you you managed to get one uh closed before it opened in Puerto Rico then there was a lot of controversy in Hendry County what's happening you know, these are really controversial places. And in my opinion, they're, they're very dangerous places because of the disease factor. You're right. There are several of them in Florida. There are a number of important breeding facilities in Texas. There's one affiliated with the University of Washington that's in Arizona. And what we know about these places is that importing remains important. And I say important in the sense to them, not to us, obviously, because it's a lot cheaper to import a monkey than it is to try to breed a monkey in the United States, which has not been a very successful program. But there are thousands and thousands of monkeys in these facilities. They come in about 10 to 15,000 a year into the United States from Mauritius and from Asian countries primarily, also from China, although China has cut off supplies at the moment, which is one of the things that's panicked monkey experimenters in the United States. But they're in these enormous facilities where there is access to the outside. That's a good thing, except that they're all crammed together in these outside facilities. And it means that there's an issue of disease, possible disease spreading too. We were concerned about this with Zika. We remain concerned about it with COVID because these things can come through the monkey populations. There's so many things wrong with these facilities from the potential for disease that can spread to humans to the, the, the terrible conditions for the monkeys who've come in from terrible conditions on a horrible flight and are crammed into these cages, and then they're dispersed across the country to laboratories. So it's, it's, a, it's a 
a pretty big industry in the United States, but I think it's one that's very vulnerable. Uh, what is the future hold? If you had a crystal ball, uh, it always seems impossible until it's done. And that's a Nelson Mandela quote that's on my refrigerator because it's a good one. Sometimes it seems overwhelming. How do you personally, dealing with some of the worst cases, how do you stay hopeful and and how do you function? Because just studying this for a small period of time is is very, very, I'll say it, depressing. Well, we stick with things until we win. So victories go a long way toward keeping me going, that's for sure. And I think I'd just feel worse if I weren't trying to do something about it than, than, if, you know, than just being sad. Being sad is not helping the monkeys or the mice or the rabbits or the dogs or the pigs or the horses. I mean, I, I really feel compelled to do something. And I am hopeful. And I'm seeing something now that's always a good sign. And that's panic on the part of the experimentation industry. I'm seeing experimenters talking about transparency again. They have this idea that if they talk about the experiments they do and explain to the public how important they are that the public will get behind them. But their definition of transparency is quite different from everybody else's because what they want to do is tell people the sanitized version and what they hope to get out of it. I, I think we're past that point. We've released so much video that the public knows what's going on at this point, and they're tired of it. And I don't think they're going to stand for it a lot longer. So we have the science on our side. We have the public on our side. We have the ethics on our side. So while we have a huge battle ahead of us, I think we're going to win it. Let's talk about two things. We only have a couple of minutes. The media. Uh when mainstream media talks about these transplants, they don't talk about them in terms of controversy or the dangers that you've alleged. Um, where is the mainstream media on this? Well, you know, an animal to human transplant is a headline, right? I, I mean, I think we, we see this and with all due respect to science reporters around the country, they're susceptible to wanting a headline and the clicks on their pages as, as much as any other sort of reporter. And it's a good headline page. A really thorough delve into the ethics of it, the finances of it, would, I think, get us much closer to what the reality is for human beings and for the animals. So I'd, I'd love to see more of that, but I'm afraid we're going to see headlines. You see them again and again. There have been, a, what, 120 uh, vaccines that seem to have prevented HIV in monkeys. And every time one of them went to a clinical trial, there were headlines and yet not one of them succeeded in those clinical trials. And those are not headlines. So you have to kind of delve deep to see it. I think we do need a little bit more critical reporting. Well, yeah. Um, and advertiser-based media is beholden to the advertisers. Look at cable television. What do you see? Pharmaceuticals. It's one of the biggest advertisers along with the meat and dairy industry. So advertiser-based media doesn't cover this uh, objectively. Uh, and that is true of the entire animal rights movement. Uh, stories that should be making headlines are ignored, which is why we do Unchained TV. And you can download the Unchained TV app. Uh, it's a free app on your iPhone, Android phone, or on your television through your Roku device, Amazon Fire Stick, um, Apple TV device, 
Samsung and LG smart TVs, and we're growing fast and we're providing that information uh, to the public because this should be a discussion that's happening on the front pages of newspapers and in mainstream cable networks, and it's not happening. Uh, there's a there's a block on that. So that's what we're inspired to do is to get the word out by hook or by crook. Um, now, last question, China. China, obviously a rising force globally. Uh, does PETA have any collaboration or way to get to China? Well, I will say we are focused primarily in those areas where we can we can make the most difference, which right now is Europe, parts of Asia, and the United States. But China will follow also what others are doing. If we lead the way in the West instead of dragging behind, which we're in danger of doing, then I think we're going to see other nations do the same. It's, it's a, it has always been that way. And will we stop everything in China before we stop everything in the United States? Probably not. But we've got to begin somewhere and we've got to lead the way instead of dragging behind. Well, an idea whose time has come, I honestly feel that, and I don't know, there I am. Um, I honestly feel that the, the, everybody said it. Wow, they came up with this COVID vaccine pretty fast. It didn't involve years of animal testing. Is that perhaps the best uh, argument against animal testing that we have here? For vaccinations and medications, well, really, yes, for everything. No question. When we need, when we need the answer, because the, the, the way it's been done is not working, we come up with it. I mean, Americans, scientists can be amazing human beings, and we've seen it again and again. When it doesn't work in an animal and they've got to figure out a different way, they do figure out a different way. What we need, though, is the impetus behind them to get them to do that. And yes, I think the COVID vaccine is the perfect example. Now, there was science that was being done already on the mRNA method, but it was being done mostly without animals. The concept was developed without animals. The Certainly there were animals used in testing the vaccine, but not what would normally be a six to 10 year process of animal experiments. And yet here we are. Absolutely. And the final thing I will say is that I think it's really important to change the culture at universities because there are so many people who are going into science who don't want to experiment on animals. There are people going into medical fields who don't want to experiment on animals. There's people who are going into veterinarian uh, practice who don't want to experiment on animals. And to make that a uh, leap at the universities is really important. Uh, I know PETA is doing all of that and more. Kathy Guillermo, thank you so much. I know you're a very busy person. Thank you for joining us for the hour for uh, Unchained TV, uh, for those watching, if anything you heard upsets you, take action. You can go to PETA.org and literally with the click of a button, you can get involved. And uh, it's really about numbers, numbers. So don't get sad, organize. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.